welcome to episode two of Bored and Nerdy. My name is Corey Munoz, and I'm here with my brother, Transformers nerd, Christopher. Hello. Greetings. Thanks for joining us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Transformers Netflix show, Transformers War for Cybertron Siege. First up, a spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about spoilers in this episode. We're going to start with a spoiler-free segment. And then we're going to give you another heads up before we get into spoiler territory. So you're safe for listening now. And we'll let you know when we get into spoilers in just a few minutes here. So, Corey, do you want to start talking about uh, the art style? What, what did you think of the, uh, the animation in this series? So specifically the animation. Okay. Um, I feel like I said, um, already. <laughs> we're, we're working on our ums ladies and gentlemen it's not easy it's a muñoz thing yes yes it is and we also have but yes i like but yes but yeah <laughs> animation in transformers siege i thought was very well done because it captured the toys perfectly that's exactly what they were going for i know but as a transformers fan from my childhood i can definitely say that my toy looking like my show is a big deal and i'm sure that transformers nerd christopher is going to have a lot more to say about that being a action figure collecting sort of guy compared to me i've only got a couple of them gifted from you guessed it transformers nerd christopher <laughs> yeah um you may have seen my transformers collection on instagram i'm at monkey c 2003 anyhow yeah i do have comments about the toys for sure uh Corey, did you know that the animation models in the show actually use the cad files the cad 3d models they used to print the molds for these toys? I had no idea that they did that, Chris. I have never <laughs> had this conversation with you before. Oh, 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 this okay, is the okay. first time for us. Wow. Oh, okay, I couldn't <laughs> remember if I told you that or not. But uh, no, it is really cool, though, that they did use the CAD files to make the toys. They used the same CAD files to make these animation models. To your point, to your point it, it adds that extra piece where you're a kid and you've got that toy and I've got that toy. And I remember having that experience with G1 and uh, they were very different. But then I remember having that experience with Beast Wars where it was so close. Like you would even see the toy in the store and be like, I need that. I need Rampage. He looks exactly like he does in the cartoon show. And uh, I think embracing some of the rough edges of the toys in the, in the lore or in the animation really adds to it uh, on the toy shelf. And I would assume it helps with the sales. It has to help with the sales. And really, they did a great job incorporating those toys into the show. There's really only a few parts of it that it feels awkward. And you're going to find those comments immediately as soon as you start googling this show you've probably encountered them already if you found our podcast 
and the general comments are things related to awkward abdomen bending ooh yeah metal plated robot six packs that can somehow contort like rubber and you know this plasticky flexibility yeah that was weird there's a few scenes that definitely like you can't take your eyes off their abs it's like he turned to jelly the one i struggle with is actually their feet uh really i didn't notice feet in particular i pay attention to ultra magnus's feet they're huge his foot is the size of a standard autobot's chest and this dude can walk normally and so i started paying attention to a lot of their legs and megatron's got the same thing going on really the only characters that don't have some form of awkward footwork to my eyes are the women because their feet are smaller and so every time I watch one of the guys walking on screen, my eyes are just kind of glued to their legs. And it's not even in a, ooh la la, those are some nice legs. It's on, <laughs> wow, look at your rectangles going up and down on Cybertron. Wow, I can't, I did not notice. But the abs thing, I definitely noticed. Kind of a necessary evil using the CAD files. They had to improvise where there weren't joints before. <laughs> Uh, it looks good overall, and they definitely work to not show too much of the abs. I'm going to have to rewatch and look at feet now, though. I, I was not watching feet. It's really not how they're animated. Like, they don't blend and bend and contort like the abs. It's more so imagining walking in those shoes on Cybertron. It hurts my head. It does. So to be clear, you're saying that the animation looks good. It looks like they're touching the floor. It looks like they're actually walking. But it's just the the mental logistics of having feet as big as a person's torso breaks your mind. Yeah, basically. But at times, it still does look awkward to me. And I'm not sure if it's just because I've thought about it too much. <laughs> but really looks awkward. And so there are a lot of scenes... Uh, where a character like Megatron or Ultra Magnus will be doing their slow Terminator walk across the screen and their legs just make it look like they're doing some weird penguin waddle almost. But I gotta say, you don't have to watch their feet or their abs to watch this show. In fact, you're going to spend most of your time looking kind of in that bust area you're going to have the shoulder shots the head shots and you're going to see a lot of cybertron itself honestly out of all the mediums that i've watched this is the most cybertron that i've seen because so often we're on other planets on earth and we don't really get to explore cybertron so this was really fun for me getting to see it because the only Cybertron I really got to experience before has been, you know, the tiny, tiny planet underneath Unicron's fist in the movie, or the very short intro of G1, or the comic books, which it really doesn't come to life in the same way as a show. Yeah, they did have a few scenes on Cybertron in the later seasons of the cartoon show, but nothing of, of length. No, I agree that it was really nice in the War for Cybertron Siege 
show to actually see Cybertron to to be down there on on Cybertron. Uh, I absolutely loved that they gave Cybertron an atmosphere. I thought that was a really smart move, and that was one I never thought of before, but it adds a lot to the planet. I would say a good amount of this show takes place while it's raining. Yeah, for sure. And and that was stuff you would never have seen in previous renditions of Cybertron. Or or no, no renditions of it I've seen anyway, because usually it's it's interpreted as a planet without an atmosphere, which makes sense for robotic creatures, but it's a lot more dynamic for for scenes and for shots and for for sequences and stuff if you can have atmospheric things like clouds and thunderstorms and rain and and that sort of thing. And I have to imagine that that was a reason that they've always had transformers on earth and with human allies is things like an atmosphere, things like weather are very human and a world without any of that is hard for a human audience to truly connect to. But this show doesn't take place on Earth. You get to live on Cybertron for the whole thing. You don't have to deal with human characters. And as someone who has most recently been exposed to the Bayverse movies and grown tired of the humans, this was very refreshing for me that it was completely focused on the Transformers. You know, and that's something I didn't think about watching or rewatching any of these episodes because I watch a lot of the G1 cartoon, but even in the G1 cartoon, there are quite a bit of human characters. Uh, but to that point, they really were forced to develop the characters, the, the actual Transformers. Which is wonderful, and they should always do that. One thing I noticed on my rewatch, which uh, was today, Confession, I watched the whole season knowing I was going to talk about it this evening, and I enjoyed it. But the thing I noticed kind of felt lazy, and it was that we really don't get to see most of the transformations on screen. Yes, we get to see them, but more often than not, there is a camera panning or a scene shift where all of a sudden the character's in a different mode. Yeah, we have a helicopter character in Siege that never turns into the helicopter. Oh, that's a good point. I, I was glad that Spinister got some screen time, though. So I, I, think, uh, I think it's important to know about how dark the show is. Did you think that the Netflix take on Transformers was too gritty? I don't personally think that it was too gritty, but I also was never a viewer of the little kid reboots of the franchise. I'm not looking for that kid-friendly version of Transformers because my daughter's not old enough to watch anything yet. She can't even talk. And so my mind's not analyzing it on that level of, ooh, that was dark, or ooh, did that push any boundaries? Because one of my favorite Transformers things was the animated movie that starts out with a literal rampage through my childhood heroes. And so compared to that, I really feel like you can't be too dark, other than the fact that this show 
got real. This isn't a lighthearted show that deals with fluffy bunnies and unicorns and rainbows. This is a show that deals with war. Yeah, I felt like the war part in particular, they did showcase that pretty well. There was a lot of pretty uh, gruesome uh, death scenes. There was a, a permanence about death that you don't often see in Transformers material. Usually they just get reanimated or re-energized or thrown in a rejuvenation chamber or something, but not in this show. And maybe that will change in the next coming seasons. But in this show, you really get the feeling that death has a permanence to it, which does add some stakes to it, which, which I think is a good thing. And you get to see that from the very beginning, not necessarily the gruesome deaths that he's talking about. And... I don't even know that I would use the word gruesome. One thing about the animation that felt lazy and I feel is justified as a criticism is the amount of body duplicates. We see it all the time, whether you're inside a specific base or you're out in Cybertron in general, there are a lot of repeat characters where it's just the model, not the name, but you can recognize the face. You can recognize the build. It just has a different paint job, which admittedly is something Transformers done from the beginning. Just look at the three Seekers that are oh so famous. But this one, it felt blatant. No, I noticed that as well. And I don't think it would have bothered me as much, except there was a lot of characters in the toy line that we didn't see. So there was a lot of room for these characters. But overall, it, it is something that's pretty easy to look past. But uh, you will notice that there's a lot of there's a lot of sideswipes out there. <laughs> there's a lot of hounds. And a lot of, uh, what's his name? The Decepticon Refractor? Oh yeah, tons of refractors. But then again, on my toy shelf, I have three, six, nine refractors, so... Well, there you go. They they made the show for you. <laughs> they did, though, <laughs> for sure. Oh, and oh, Asterix, I loved all the cogs. They had the blue cog, but they had a green cog, and they had a red cog. And please, Hasbro, release these as toys. I will buy every color of cog. There you go. Verbal contract. Last spoiler-free thing that I want to get into is... Hey, Transformers nerd Chris, how did you feel about the voice acting of Transformers Siege? I felt that most of it was spot on. Most of it I was really cool with. I absolutely love what they did with Megatron's voice. I think they nailed Megatron. Optimus Prime, I feel like, is close behind him. Uh, Peter Cullen is just so ingrained in my mind, though. And when it's not him, it's like, oh, it's not him. But I really think they did an excellent job. The only ones that bothered me, uh, Hound was a bit of a movie Hound voice, really grisly and harsh, a harsh voice, where in the G1, he's more of a soft-spoken voice. So it was weird to me to see the like grisly Hound voice coming out of the G1-looking character model. Other than that, Soundwave, I think, needed a do-over. They, the voice sounded fine. They just didn't modulate it right. And I have personally tried to do a Soundwave voice uh, for my costume, and it's not easy. So I get it. It's not easy. Those are the two that stand out in my mind as having uh, been a little strange. 
I have to agree with you on Soundwave as being the worst voice out there. It was awkward. Sounds like it went through one of those child toy voice modulators. Basically the same issue that you had with Optimus, where the voice, the original voice, is just so iconic. The other voice that I had an issue with is basically the opposite of your issue with Hound, and it's Ironhide. In the Netflix adaptation for Siege, Ironhide sounds like a random teenager they put a microphone in front of. Yeah, Ironhide definitely got shafted in this show. He's only there to be like, I answered the phone, or something really inconsequential like that. Spoiler alert for all of you Ironhide fans. (laughs) I felt that Alita 1 had one of the best voices for the show in most scenes. There were a few that I could get picky about, but I felt that she did a really good job for the audience because she felt very human. So she kind of embodied what I've been saying for a long time, that we don't need the human characters, we just need Transformers that we can identify with. Now, that's a compliment. For the negative, I have to bring up, there's a lot of really slow dialogue in this show. Quite a few characters in the show shatner themselves often that's a good way of putting it i can't believe that just happened which is hilarious because i cannot is one of the things that i put in quotations uh i noticed that optimus prime ultra magnus and megatron are very guilty of it. Jetfire's pretty guilty of it. Oh, he's super guilty of it, but he makes it look cool. He does, because he's (laughs) dramatic. Whereas the other guys, you kind of stare at them, and you're thinking, did you stop? Because they'll say things. Anytime they say the, the word I, you know there's a pause coming. I cannot. I disagree. That's how I felt with Optimus Prime, especially. Is like, he's just thinking. He's thinking about the next thing he wants to say. All right, folks. Bored and Nerdy is about to get into spoilers. So if you like what we've been saying, please stick around, listen to the rest of it. We're going to get into the good stuff now. So I'm just going to give a basic recap of the story. I'm not going super in-depth, just giving the gist of the overall story. So basically, the Autobots are the underdogs at the end of the Cybertronian War. They're losing. They don't have Energon. Megatron's like some kind of fascist ruler. The story follows the Autobots as they're trying to find the AllSpark before the Decepticons. And it ends at a very natural jumping-off point for kind of a G1 sequel. That's kind of the overall story of it. What's going on with this war? I felt like we were thrown in at a weird time. We're at the end of this war when things are straggling, when things are wrapping up. And so a lot of the dialogue we encounter makes you want more of the history. We want to understand the continuity that Siege is using 
because we don't really know the details. All we know is exactly what Chris said. Autobots are losing. We don't really know how they got there. There's a whole story before this story that would prequel series. Arguably, it would arguably be more interesting because they they talk about a lot of oh this is where this epic battle happened and this is where this figure was killed or whatever and it's like show me that show me that but i feel like that's something that uh a lot of multimedia projects have had issues with in the in the recent years is is show me the story that you're telling me about don't don't just tell me about it show me they had this scene where there's this big giant memoriam around it and it's like i want to see that battle show me that battle they called it uh the fight that had the most the largest death count in the entire war or something like that why didn't the show open there open the show there you just know it had to be cool and you even have characters like megatron talking to bumblebee he calls bumblebee a coward for not wearing his allegiance like wheeljack does and i found myself instantly really wanting more information about the war and the origin of the autobots and decepticons in this continuity optimus is walking around talking about how the war started when as soon as he opposed megatron but that's so vague that could easily be optimus being some pouty gloomy guy ultra magnus is doing the same thing talking about how i'm growing tired of endless war which really makes me want to see these wars we get this direct quote alpha trion sparked a revolution what revolution what did they revolt against yeah show me that i want to see that we get a little bit of that filled in from Impactor, where he's talking about Megatron and himself. Oh, we were predetermined to be miners while the Autobots sipped Energon. And you have Megatron name-dropping the mines and the gladiatorial pits. But depending on the continuity you're looking at, those could be very different. Yeah. No, I would love to see the class system explored more. Uh, there's a rumor that one of the several multimedia, one of the several uh, theatrical release Transformers projects that's mulling about right now would be set on Cybertron and it would explore that sort of thing, like the relationship between Optimus and Megatron early on in the war and the class system of Cybertron. In development could just mean that somebody's writing notes about it. But I would love it if that came to a reality just because I, I would love to see that explored. That that whole uh, kind of... It, I think it would add some sympathy to the Decepticon side that just really doesn't exist right now. I think I disagree with you on the sympathy bit. Not in that I actually feel sympathy for them, but... Transformers Siege went a long way in making the Decepticons feel justified. And a lot of that comes down to what you already said about our uh, dear, glorious leader Megatron. This show created the fascist Megatron. And so you get this whole political view from him and you get to see him controlling the minds and ambitions of Cybertronians 
not just his inner circle of Decepticons. And so as a viewer, unless you really pay attention to what Megatron is saying and why he's saying it, Megatron sounds so much more empowered, so much more righteous compared to Optimus, who sounds kind of flat with his, well, I believe that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, in this show in general, Optimus kind of comes off as someone who's not quite sure what he's doing, which I think was intentional, but it does detract from his gravitas. Which is weird with Optimus because half the show he feels like he's at the end of his character arc. He already did his war. He is done developing. He is good to go. He's 100% Optimus Prime. And then you have that uncertainty. And then you also have the Alpha Trion quote to Bumblebee about Optimus is still learning. He will have great victories and great defeats and you must be with him. And so you're watching it going, oh, he's still learning? Really? I thought that he was Ultimate Commander Optimus this whole time. One thing that really bugged me in that area is they question his orders a lot. Like Optimus Prime's crew of Autobots often, especially Alita One, goes, I don't agree with that idea, or, or, or this isn't a good plan. And it, it gives you that feeling like, is he at the end of his character arc? Is he not? Is he the established leader? Is he not? Because they question his every order. And it, that that part is muddled, I think, in the show. Like they, it, Almost like they couldn't decide where they wanted to put him as far as the Optimus we all know. I would agree with that, that if they would have explained his origin better, we would be able to agree with him more. And I think that also helps Megatron's case, where Megatron explains everything in his dictator way, whereas Optimus is literally going off of belief. And I think that's why people are questioning him, why Alita and Ultra Magnus stand up to him. Because every time he says, we're going to do this, they ask him, well, what if it goes wrong? And his comeback is literally, don't you believe in me? Trust me. I'll do it right. And that's a hard thing to jump on board with yeah i think they were really trying to spin it that optimus was the radical which i think works really well there's something very uh star wars sequel series about it i think for it to work well we really need insight into the alpha trion and his students scene we needed to witness Alpha Trion teaching Ultra Magnus, Optimus Prime, and Megatron so that we get that whole, ah, oh, my mentor, Alpha Trion. And I absolutely agree there, and that's why I definitely think there's fuel for a, a prequel series. It, it's a missed opportunity, I think, to have skipped that stuff. The Alpha Trion bit would be perfect for a prequel because... The sheer amount of name dropping between Megatron, Optimus, and Ultra Magnus really builds a lot of the drama that the show is built around. And there's this really important scene where Optimus accuses Megatron of killing Alpha Trion. 
if they're going to do that, I would have at least liked to see either if he did, like, show us that sequence or at least, like, show us enough to frame it as a mystery in our minds where we're going, did he? Didn't he? But instead, it's just, like, this fact that they ju- that Optimus Prime just lays on us and we're like, okay, like, I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, the, the accusation felt like I was playing a game of Clue or Among Us. Someone's being accused of something that's not entirely common knowledge, and we have to weigh in on it, but Megatron just doesn't deny it. No one's surprised. We have to assume that that, that totally happened. But then we see Megatron's mural where he's wearing some super cloak stabbing somebody and you'd think with just the timing of everything that it would be alpha trion's corpse totally isn't it's some random nobody it just feels off you know we need to know that detail because so much of this story seems to be coming from the alpha trion relationship yeah my main dislike with the show overall was just glossing over uh, that relationship between those characters, just as you mentioned it. I feel like even one episode with Alpha Trion being a central character would have added a lot to the stakes in this show, or in this season anyway. Absolutely. We have the quote about Alpha Trion sparking a rebellion. We have Ultra Magnus saying don't make Cybertron suffer, don't become like those we rose against. And so there's just so much mud that we needed some footing to properly appreciate this moment in the war. I think a lot of it was they're generally rebooting G1. Basically, I imagine... The person they or what they rebelled against would be the Quintessons, and they're trying to do a similar like the Quintessons manufactured the Autobots for more like sophisticated and scholarly things. They manufactured the Decepticons for more of the like military and the rugged kind of work, and that's probably what they're talking about is Alpha Trion group these guys together and they rebel against the Quintessons against the their creators. That that's what I would take, and that's just because I go, oh, they're rebooting G1. But there would be so much more to the show if they would highlight that, and maybe they will in the next season, because I know in the Earthrise toy line, there is a Quintesson figure, just like the G1 Quintessons. Interesting. So that would be my hypothesis. I do hope they explore it more, because just because they didn't give it to us in this season doesn't mean we can't get it down the road. So. Please just show us where all this came from so that we can know why we care. And it doesn't even have to be just the the giant war. I want to know more about most of these characters. The one that really jumped out to me on my rewatch today was Ratchet. He was such a compelling character. He had this really cool introduction and... He's walking around wearing the Autobot symbol, but he's blaming Prime for the reduction of Cybertronian culture. There's this awkward self-loathing, outward loathing, and just interesting world revolving around a character that, other than G1, when he helped create Dinobots, I've never cared about before. I think that Ratchet and Impactor both got the best story arcs 
in this season. And it's kind of cool that they actually, their arcs cross each other. But I, I would argue that they both have the best arcs in this, in this season. I think that that wouldn't be too big of a stretch. Um, really, Other than maybe Jetfire. Maybe Jetfire. Jetfire's got a solid arc. Ooh, Starscream um, does too. I guess I guess of the Autobots, because <laughs> there's a few uh, Decepticon players that have some some really good arcs. Alita 1 had a really good Autobot arc. She starts in that prime trusted confidant window becomes a leader becomes the person who ultimately makes this critical decision at the end to stay and defend cybertron so you do get a pretty solid character from her i want to talk about starscream for a minute i absolutely love what they did with starscream the struggle with the Starscream character is is that he's known for being the betrayer, the usurper, the the mutiny guy. And so it's always like, why does Megatron keep him around? Why doesn't Megatron kill him? Why does Megatron put up with his BS? I think that they really uh, highlighted perfectly why. And they, they, they put a perfect spin on it by making Jetfire, instead of his scientist buddy, making Jetfire his military commander. And wanting and making Starscream want to usurp him and try to take his job, it it added this dynamic there where like by being the Starscream we all know and love from G1, he he's actually earning cred and earning faith with Megatron, and so we're getting to see him rise through the ranks while we're getting to see uh, Jetfire become an Autobot. It was just also perfectly intertwined and orchestrated. I, that might have actually been my favorite part of watching the show. I did really like Ratchet and Impactor's arcs, but the whole Starscream, Megatron, Jetfire dynamic was just fascinating to watch. 100%, yes. Starscream was amazing in this. The voice was on point. The decisions all felt very in character for him. And I really enjoyed seeing him plot against somebody other than Megatron. And I really enjoyed when Megatron specifically addressed that. Jetfire voiced the fans. He said, why are you dealing with Starscream's nonsense? And, you know, his arrogance and all that. And Megatron just says... I enjoy his arrogance. And so you get this side of Megatron where he's keeping Starscream's nonsense around because it gives him some kind of a laugh. Right, well, and it makes perfect sense too because if you're this military commander, you want that guy who just has this blind, can-do-it attitude or fire about them. And Starscream's that guy for him. And it's a dangerous tool. And in that scene... Megatron even acknowledges that, that, that he could be dangerous. So uh, I, I loved that as well. I thought that was perfectly addressed. Character that I was a little disappointed with development-wise that I know a lot of people have actually celebrated was Bumblebee. I actually found him pretty annoying on my rewatch. He became edgy. He tried to become dark 
to match the overall tone of the show and really just came across as that spoiled kid. The other Autobots are literally holding guns to him because he's in the arc and they're saying, oh, he knows where we're at. I guess we need to off this guy. And Prime saying, no, no, we can't do that. That's not okay. And then all of a sudden, the big woe of the show, the Alpha Trion protocols, choose Bumblebee for some reason, and he doesn't even know why. And so then Prime triggers this Alpha Trion hallucination sequence just by saying, you would need to talk to my mentor. And Alpha Trion tells him, oh, the person who inherits the Alpha Trion protocols is the most trusted of our brethren. They were literally just holding guns to his head because they didn't trust him. Yeah, I thought that whole thing had a lot of potential. The whole Alpha Trion protocols had a humongous potential, and they, for whatever reason, were just kind of like, it felt really tacked on there. It's just really inconsequential. It helped for like, maybe one or two scenes and then he loses his powers and I really hope he gets them back because I feel like there was a lot more they could do there. And if their whole message was supposed to be the power was inside Bumblebee all along. Well, they really messed that one up. They, I think wanted a reason to bring him back in. They want him in season two because he sells toys and we really need to make him an Autobot. So how can we railroad him into doing it? And then they gave him the Alpha Trion protocols and it was a plot device. They literally only gave him the Alpha Trion protocols so that he could know where the AllSpark was. Speaking of to sell toys, though, did you notice that he didn't his character model didn't really match any of the other characters? Because his toy wasn't done yet. Yeah, his toy wasn't done yet. So everyone else is made off of a CAD file of a toy. And you can see their peg holes for their weapons and their where the screws would probably go. And alt mode kibble and stuff like that. And Bumblebee looks very much like a PlayStation 2 character who's just kind of plopped into the show. Because they modeled him from scratch. Wasn't Alita 1 also a character with no toy? Yes, um, but she's based off the RC toy. And so you do see RC a little later in the show. So Alita is still based off the CAD files of a toy. Gotcha. She's just based off the RC toy, and then they tweaked it to be Alita. But they did the same thing in real life with the toy anyway. I can't wait to see those two toys. I've been looking around for them. Uh, my daughter, Ripley, is a huge RC fan. So I can't wait to see that toy around so i think the last character that really needs some attention is ultra magnus yes oh, how definitely. do you feel about ultra magnus in this well, show i actually have that under my on my notes i took i have that in my dislikes area and ultra magnus got totally shafted in this show and I I understand it, and I'm all right with it to a certain level, because honestly, let's get real here. It's just like Marvel or whatever. Everybody's got their favorite hero, their favorite character. You want all the characters to wow people, but if you do that all the time, nothing interesting ever happens, and there's not stakes. And I get it that some characters are going to have to get a bummer ticket. That's just, it makes a more interesting story. 
but oh man ultra magnus he's portrayed as being burned out with the war and kind of on his last limb and done fighting and he tries to play the diplomat but immediately screws it up by trying to be the spy for some reason like just stick to the diplomat thing ultra magnus why do you got to go to try to be a spy you're not a spy you're you're this giant dude you can't be a spy even if you try to hide under a under a cloak like some kind of fool a but <laughs> yeah under under this giant tarp who is that who's that guy with the big shoulders reveal yourself <laughs> right person, yeah like supposedly <laughs> a student with <laughs> who, who are you you look like ultra magnus oh hi ultra magnus what did they oh right they used his body to make the virus that's what they needed it for is they made the virus they I, used his body to transmit the virus. They could have used anybody. Okay, yeah, yeah, they killed him first. And then they, yeah, anyway, I really hope that he comes back in the next season. I realize it's a long shot, and I realize just me and other Ultra Magnus fans are in that group. But it's not unheard of in Transformers for characters to come back from the dead. It's not unheard of for Ultra Magnus to get revealed to be a smaller character or a character inside of armor. And I would love a plot thread in the next season where Ultra Magnus without armor, so the white Optimus Prime, is maybe evil or trying to remember who he is. Or I, I would love something like that. I, I don't think we're going to get that, but I would like it. I agree with everything you said about Ultra Magnus. I love Ultra Magnus. He got shafted. But if I wanted to make the version of him that they used work, they should have used him more effectively to help one of their other characters develop. And that character is Jetfire. Jetfire does reference Ultra Magnus. He's upset that Ultra Magnus got shot when he was unarmed. He talks about it to make all the other Autobots feel bad. And really we should have gotten more scenes of Jetfire and Ultra Magnus talking because the only two characters in the entire show that are caught up on honor are Ultra Magnus and Jetfire. And so there could have been some amazing rapport-building scenes of Jetfire talking to Ultra Magnus while he was in jail I could really see that. I, I, I would really, yeah, definitely get get behind you on that, that I'd enjoy a scene when he was a prisoner. And maybe it's Jetfire, like, reassuring him about the Decepticon cause and how, you know, he just needs to come to his senses. And Megatron is a good leader, and, and he just needs to trust in Megatron. And then to have him blow him away in a second, and that could have major ramifications on Jetfire. Megatron would never blah 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 something yeah. betray you. You guys have that honor bound brotherhood, and that's what Megatron and I have. And if you would just join us, you could have that with him again. And then Plowy and Dead and Jetfire could then feel, wow, I right. was way wrong about this guy rather than just getting super paranoid about, whoa, whoa, Megatron and Shockwave are talking, reprogramming genocide here, you would also have that personal stake of, I'm going to go join the Autobots, rather than, you know what, peace out, I'm going to go and join uh, the mercenaries, 
and uh, I'm just going to go for a, a little fly. I, I'll be back in never. So what did you think of the whole reformatting the Autobots thing? What did you think about that element in the season? Uh, that felt a little bit misplaced to me. Like tacked on. Yeah, they needed to come up with some kind of threat to motivate the whole AllSpark debacle. It did seem to kind of come out of nowhere. It was like, oh, we're going to get the AllSpark. Oh, we're going to get it first. It was like, wait, wait a minute. Oh, okay, the story's off. Off to the races. Which, if we would have had a simple introduction to it in those prequel years, you know, imagine Alpha Trion sitting around with Ultra Magnus and Megatron and Optimus, and he's talking about the AllSpark, and he's sure. saying there's this reason that we all are in these casts that we are, you know, we have the miners, we have the gladiators, we have the socialites, we have blah, 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 and a lot of it came down to the programming that the AllSpark and just go from there where Alpha Trion explains this significant part of the AllSpark so that when Shockwave brings it up, Megatron would have that, uh-huh, well, my mentor used to talk about this and I recognize the relevance of what you're saying versus Shockwave basically being Beast Wars Tarantulas with his, I have this devious plot. Look at my brilliant scheming. So when I post pictures of Shockwave on Instagram, I really like to hashtag him, not Tarantulas. It just gives me a good laugh. That's hilarious. I never look at your tags because I find tags annoying. And so I'm glad we've come to that same comparison. <laughs> yeah, I really like to tag him, not Tarantulas. And I really like to uh, tag movie Starscream as hashtag Dorito Starscream rules. So things that really stood out to me in the show as very enjoyable moments. And I think it's important that I share some of these because I feel like I've gone a little negative in my review. I did really enjoy the show, but I, by my nature, am fairly critical. Things that I thoroughly enjoyed were Megatron complimenting Starscream while Shockwave and Soundwave just visibly reacted like they were full-on emojis. I have never seen that much emotion from those two emotionless characters. I thought it was brilliant. It reminded me of Beast Wars. It was a very Beast Wars moment. But they're not tarantulas, and that's important. <laughs> yeah, don't. they're definitely not tarantulas. Hashtag not tarantulas. If we're going to go into <coughs> hashtag knots, uh, <laughs> we have our Star Wars moment with Jetfire and his not a lightsaber. Um, that thing was overpowered and he won every single fight scene because he was rocking an energy sword. I want one. The toy does not have that energy sword, but I have seen people post one online. So either somebody's 3D printed one or some third-party company made one, but I need to find one, because that light sword is amazing, and he mostly just uses it to cut the nose off of Seekers. Or Starscream's hand. <laughs> that was epic. And that was another scene that proved how quickly they repair each other. Starscream had a perfect hand the next time you saw him. Right, so it wasn't a big deal. So, like, yeah, somebody's making you mad, you just chop them up. <laughs> You'll be fine. 
Another really good cheeky moment was when uh, Bumblebee takes RC and Cog to get their Energon from Sound Blaster, and the guard hold for weapon check. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I, I loved that scene, and and that scene, my wife and I were watching it together, and I looked at her, I'm like. Cog's all guns. He's all weapons. And I was kind of feeling frustrated, like like they were just going to gloss over that. But no, it was it was part of the whole sequence all along. And RC gets all equipped with like these shoulder guns that are like twice the size of her torso. That whole scene in general was really fun. I wish they would have spent more time on it. Sound Blaster was really cool. I liked that they included the mercenary symbol and that they outright called him a Soundwave clone in this continuity because that changes. And I thought that his voice, while similar to Soundwave's, didn't suck as much. And I'm curious if that's because I have Soundwave's voice so firmly in my memories that it bothered me, or if they actually just did a better job with uh, Sound Blaster. I believe in the uh, Japanese continuity, Sound Blaster was more along the lines of Galvatron, like built from Soundwave. So it was really interesting to see him as a whole separate character. He was kind of the job of the hut of this series. I could see that. And then uh, to continue my trend of not something else, uh, the all spark. Really Hashtag not me... job of the hut. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, the all spark made me think of Dungeons and Dragons. It was a D20. <laughs> right. It was very. Uh, uh... The, the Futurama. Ah, uh, gosh. What what was the Futurama with the, the RPG? Die of Destiny. Or yeah, something. something like that. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the Dodetrahedron. <laughs> to appeal to a character that you like, giant Astro Train for less than one second. That irritated me. I mean, I'm glad that he got in there, but it was almost like I can see the toy executive somewhere being like, we're going to have this toy out by the time the show shows, so we really need you to include this CAD file. And the animation team's like, we don't have the manpower. We can't get it in. And they're like, you're contractually obligated. And they, so they throw him in for like a single camera pan up from like his belly button just to make him look like this hulking giant. It, it was very odd. Well, he was because it really looked like he stepped on a bunch of Autobots. Yeah, I, I, I hope he plays a part in the sequel series, but uh, I'm not too hopeful that he will. The Decepticons are all going to jump into Astro Train to chase the Ark. In train mode. In train mode. <laughs> they'll just they'll just choo-choo through the uh, <laughs> through the space bridge. The the star rails of um, Cybertron. On the note of the space bridge, one beautiful moment from a guy that likes to complain about dumb things in movies point of view when the space bridge is under attack and optimus and alita and everyone are freaking out get to the space bridge turn it on get through the space bridge and ratchet has his dramatic i'm gonna run to the console to turn it on and impactor jumps in the way and he has his beautiful i'm sacrificing myself for the guy that saved me moment Ratchet turns on the space bridge before cuddling with him. And that was a big deal for me because so often in movies you're sitting there going, ah! 
finish what you're supposed to do. And we even saw that earlier in the show where you have all these, okay, execute them. Ready? Aim. Ratchet's all about business, dude. Ratchet in this show, he's going to get stuff done. Like, he's the getting stuff done guy. He doesn't have time for any of that time-wasting BS. Now, I really think they they did an awesome job with Ratchet. And I I know, come at me with the pitchforks in the comments, but I have not seen Transformers Prime. But I hear it's really good, and I'll see it someday. But from what I've heard, um, the Ratchet in Siege is very similar to the ratchet in transformers prime the the grizzled has been warrior uh cool. i really like it for him it fits him like a glove that makes me interested in prime for the first time i've heard really good things about transformers prime the character the humans play quite a role because it's on earth and the character models look so little kitty it's like they look like uh toy story 2 humans oh my yeah, that, so that's the part I've never been able to get past to to sit down and watch it. But I hear really good things, and I hear it actually gets pretty dark. On the note of really dark, I think it's time we get into the lame moments of Transformers, a genuine complain session. Sure. And I want to start out, because I don't want you to steal it from me, complaining about the opening sequence. Oh, it, yeah, that's pretty... <laughs> Sorry. It makes me sad. I tried to steal it from you anyway. Do you see that? You did. <laughs> I, and I knew you were going to, so that's why I had to make that transition. It's so forgettable. The music was so bad, and the animation was boring. And the whole time, I just sit there going, robots in disguise. <laughs> yeah, it was so minimal effort that they might as well have just had that little bleep, bleep, bleep sound effect they have or whatever, the computer sound effects. Just show the logo on a black screen and make the sound effect. Like, you might as well not even animate it. Really, Netflix has kind of done that to us on a lot of their original shows. Netflix doesn't like making really cool opening sequences. I get it. But this one, this one bummed me out. So my main dislikes, I really like dislike Alita 1 shooting down all Optimus Prime's plans. I get it that she's supposed to be the like sympathetic voice and the creator of the show said that Alita One's the heart of the Autobots and that and I did enjoy her having a big role, so I'm not trying to discredit that at all. But I just I it frustrated me. I, I get the same way when I watch Star Trek or when I watch Firefly or when I watch anything with the crew. It's like you just do what the captain says. And and when it doesn't work, that's when you come to the captain. Or or I would have appreciated more in the show of uh, Elita One saying, Optimus, permission to speak freely. Or Optimus, permission to speak with you in private. Or or something like that. I, I would have gone a long way to uh, to shielding Optimus Prime's dignity. Because as it is, there, there's a lot that you feel like he's not really trusted. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, it, it lends a hand into the tug of war of, where is he at in his arc? We did see one character, I believe it was Sideswipe, who asked for permission to sp speak freely, and Prime says, always. And you do get some really strong Alita 1 and Optimus Prime romance vibes, 
And so there's got to be some level of she feels entitled to talking to him, but she is in a military structure. And so I, I get where you're coming from on that. Unfortunately, I'm on board with her criticisms based on the optimist that we were given, because every time they talk about one of the concerns, you know, it's, oh, yeah, let's remove the AllSpark from Cybertron. And it's, well, actually, according to these ancient religions, Cybertron's going to, like, lose all life if you do that. And Prime says, I won't let that happen. And then he doesn't talk about it. He walks away. And then Alita brings it up again. And Prime says, you doubt me and it's just like come on man give give the girl something to work with that the whole uh dynamic between optimus prime and his troops really i feel could have used a a glossing over uh used a, a little polish i mean on the note of glossed over casual and quick deaths you talked about the brutality, or yes. you used the word gruesome. Moon racer, moon racer, totally torn limb from limb by zombie transformers. That's the most brutal thing I've ever seen in any transformers uh, media outside of Bayverse. And going into this, I did not know Moon Racer as a character, and so when they went on this expedition. It was a Star Trek moment. She was the red shirt. So as soon as the suspenseful rust zombies stood up, my mind went, she dead. And she died. Not mine, because she's not just a red shirt. She's one-fifth of uh, Orthea, the combiner. But when you compare it to the people she's out there with, Optimus, Prowl, Jetfire, you know, you've got these big name characters compared to Moonracer for your average viewers. I guess the big difference in this show is in the G1 cartoon, they would have totally C-3PO'd her and thrown all of her parts in a bag and Chewbacca'd her butt out of there and welded her back together somewhere. But this show, we have guys like Spinister getting impaled shortly after he's introduced. We have Skywarp getting shot in the back, and he's one of the big three Seekers. Ooh, I could count that as a dislike. I, they really did Skywarp dirty, too. I, I hope that he comes back in the next season, uh, having been repaired. Because his death was off-screen. We didn't really see it. We see him get shot and then well uh, he did meet up with starscream on screen he shows up he lands he leans into him he's like, ah, jetfire yeah. betrayed who shot me and then starscream goes and he killed skywarp and so is it within the realm of possibility that starscream brought him to a medical bay laid him down and said hey buddy take take a rest We'll reconnect later, but I'm totally going to go and manipulate somebody so that I can, you know. It would be very Starscream. It would be very Starscream to do that. Fingers crossed. Fingers Fingers crossed, because I love Skywarp, and I'm not above admitting a lot of it's because his color scheme is awesome. And I really want a continuity that lets him use his teleportation thing more than once. That would be really cool. Everybody gets one. Teleportation. So my wife is a big comic book reader. She grew up reading comic books and uh, 
I, I love taking her to the Marvel movies and stuff because she'll explain to me what they changed. And anyway, all throughout the show, she was calling things. There's a scene where Optimus Prime goes to meet with the Guardians and and then they basically say they're not going to help him like the big Omega Supreme dudes. We're not going to help you. But then Optimus Prime drives away and the camera just stays on this beautiful still image. There's a lot of beautiful like like paintings in the show where, when they do a still, uh, uh, still image. But uh, there's this still image and one of them is like lingering in the clouds off to the side of the screen. And Kayla's like, oh. He'll be back to save the day in the end of the show. And it's like, what? What? How do you know that? And she's like, because that's how they do it in a comic book, because they would have a panel of that specifically so that you would know he's going to be back later. And uh, it, again and again, stuff like that happened. And like, there's a scene where uh, Optimus and Megatron are fighting like way up on this on this uh, ledge. And just because of the way they framed the shots, Kayla's like, oh, Bumblebee's going to jump up there and, and save the day. Like, oh, here comes Bumblebee or something like that. And it was like, damn, <laughs> how did you do that? And it was just because uh, there was a very uh, comic-like art style going on in the show. I love talking to your wife about shows because we both do that. We see things coming like it was written out in a spoiler ahead of time and a lot of that is because we pay attention to foreshadowing and it's blatant in comic books it's blatant in a lot of shows and it's really blatant in marvel movies and so mine is looking at it from that english teacher mindset of okay yep every story ever this is what would happen and hers is oh every comic ever so we're we're coming at it from the same perspective and so i really enjoy uh talking to her about those things because it's really just a sit down of called it called it called it called it called it called it I was surprised by this thing. And so it's always this really fun conversation getting to that one thing that caught us off guard. So at the very end of the show, there's this bit that bugs me where uh, uh, Lita One's looking up at the uh, space bridge they all flew through, looking up where it used to be. And it's like, oh, they all died. And it's just us now. And and it's like, what? They They died? How did you get that out of it? Like, even the Decepticons are like, those fools are dead. And I, I don't understand how they think they were destroyed. Like it looked to me like the arc went through the space bridge. And so did the AllSpark before it. Like, I think the reason for that is the AllSpark went through the bridge fine. And then later the arc went through and it was after the arc went through that the space bridge collapsed. And so there needs to be some level of the, the science in this world that that proved that the bridge was unstable. Something went wrong with that port that they've all witnessed a successful transit before that this one stands out as, whoa, something went wrong there. In season two, when the guys on the arc survive, I think that we're going to have um, that like, wow, the ship is really damaged. And we kind of get that in the end credit scene where there's that beep, 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 beep ship approaching moment where it feels like the ship is dormant rather than, ah, crew, we made it. Hooray. That's a fair point. That's interesting. But yeah, there's nobody on the bridge and there's an alarm going off. 
So who do you think's approaching? What do you think the ship approaching is? Um, theories that I've come up with have ranged from, oh man, wouldn't it be cool to uh, probably. And the one that I've landed on for my uh, probably is humans. They're going to have teleported to Earth and the ship is now doing some weird orbit float around Mars, Moon, Earth and a human spaceship's going to be approaching it, and there's going to be some, ah, our human allies brought us back from this offline cycle from the space bridge that went bad. I think it's going to be Decepticons. I think there's going to be some kind of time travel element, and there will be Decepticons waiting there to meet them when they exit the space bridge. On Astrotrain. <laughs> yeah, them all just they're all just hanging out in train mode floating through space. Which is a version that is in my dream category. You know, I said there's one that I think's going to happen and the one that I hope happens. I hope that it's some kind of weird Decepticon thing and it adds instant drama versus humans. I'm tired of humans in my Transformers shows. Um and I think that the one little bit of probably that is convincing me it's going to be humans is the change on Cybertron. You know, that atmosphere shifted. We now have light for the first time in the entire show. So either this entire thing happened in one night, which is possible, um, or the AllSpark leaving is starting immediate change on Cybertron. They they definitely ended the show in a very natural spot to like redo the G1 cartoon. Like they've left Cybertron, they don't have much power. Whatever they 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 went through the space bridge. I really think that uh, the next sequel will pick up, and probably about half of it. I would wager that half of the next season is following Alita One's gang on Cybertron. Definitely, but if Alita One's gang is still on Cybertron, that means that the Decepticons didn't fully commit which they don't have to by any means. But in this world that we've seen, I don't think the same Decepticons would go to Earth. You know, in the G1 world, you've got Shockwave pretty much handling Cybertron on his own. But in this one, why would Megatron leave Cybertron? To get the AllSpark back. Because maybe Cybertron's dying right away. And so that's why he needs to use a space bridge and travel through space and time to find it. Okay. Okay. If that's what happens, sure. But it sure didn't look like they were doing a Cybertron's immediately dying because the whole light coming out above them there and uh, Alita one saying, we need to avenge the guys that died, all that crap. There's definitely some layer of renewed hope. We know that they are following the toy lines. There was the Siege toy line. Then next is Earthrise. So we know they're going probably to Earth. There's going to be Earth alternate modes. The next toy line after it is going to be Kingdom. And in Kingdom, it's going to be a mixture of G1 characters and Beast Wars characters. So I wonder if... I wonder if the AllSpark is going to land somewhere to create those Beast Wars characters. 
it'll be interesting how they worm that in there. I'm not really sure how they're going to tie that stuff together. But hey, on the rant of toy lines, I had one point I wanted to make earlier that I spaced. Where are all the Micromasters and Battlemasters? They would have involved too much of a budget to have them transforming into weapons on screen because this show in particular really liked watching rectangular transformers punch each other. I want to see the more of that class system explored and I want to see the tiny little robots, the the tiny little micromasters and what their lives are about. Maybe in the sequel we'll get it. At least the Battlemasters, please. But those are weapons, and most of this show was a boxing match. The only times they really use their guns are guaranteed kills, or stormtroopers shooting somebody in a distance shot, or shooting at a giant ship or building that they can't kill. Guns are mostly used ineffectively in this entire show. In one sentence, I thought about War for Cybertron Siege, that it was a perfect fine-tuning of the multimedia and the toy line. I just wish they came together more in sync with each other, because the Siege toy line wrapped up before the show even started up. And my overall impression would be this was six episodes they made a movie and they spread it out over a TV show. We could have gotten a lot more out of it if they would have given us the prequel, but I think they did a good job transitioning a toy line into a show that made people interested in the franchise again. And that's all, folks. Thank you again for listening to Bored and Nerdy. Join us for episode three. The next episode, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian, season one. Please like, rate us with that oh-so-deserved five-star on Apple Podcast. Follow or subscribe if you had a good time with us. Or if you didn't, you know how these things work. The next episode will probably be your favorite, and if not that one, definitely the one after that. You can follow us on Instagram at BoardNNerdy, or on YouTube at BoardNNerdy, and because we know you want to, feel free to email us at BoardNNerdy at gmail.com with any future episode requests, or if you just feel like saying hello. We hope you're a little less bored and a little more nerdy.